Hey guys, thanks for watching Ike Live. It's brought to you by Mystery Tackle Box. Please check them out. They've got a great product. Go to mysterytacklebox.com. If you use the coupon code Ike Live, you get 50% off Sweet. your first pro box. That's $12.50 <laughs> for a almost $50 value of baits in this box. We're going to bring Ken Duke in. Um, and Ken right now uh, operates the Fishing Tackle Retailer. He's a uh, former guru editor at Bassmaster. Former uh, senior editor at, at Bass. At, uh, at Bass. Bassmaster.com, Bassmaster Magazine, Bass Times. Right. Yeah, any, uh, in, any employment with the CIA or... Not that I can discuss it here, Pete. <laughs> but he, he, he's done it all in the sport, and he knows it all, which is just absolutely amazing. Actually, speaking of done it all in the sport, uh, among the panelists here, we've qualified for a couple of Bassmaster Classics. Unfortunately, they were all Pete Glusick. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a bad deal there. But. Uh, I, I appreciate you pointing that out. I take every chance I get to point that out as well. But uh, narrowly missed making this classic thanks to uh, Rick Morris, who stole that one from me. Unbelievable the on the tournament trail. What's that? <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable rudeness. Unbelievable rudeness. Don't that let was, that happen. That was, that was rude, but uh, congratulations, Rick. And um, a measly eight pounds yesterday. Yes, he didn't start off well at the classic, but he's been to six classics, which is amazing. And uh, I didn't realize that until I saw the stats in Bassmaster. And he finished second in 2006 on the Kissimmee, Florida, chain. on the yeah, uh, Florida Kissimmee chain. Yeah, behind when, uh, Luke Lawson. With the advent of the bladed jig, when that was brand new coming yes. out, he was one of the first ones to really implement that in the classic and to that's, great success. That's one of my big takeaways from that expo, Pete and Mark. Um, I knew that the Chatterbait guys were going to be at the expo, so because I was a bass staffer, I snuck in early and bought about a dozen. <laughs> and, and those things went so fast. I mean, in a couple hours, they were completely sold out. But I had my stash, so I was pretty happy. Have you seen the documentary that we did, Kent, on on the million dollar idea? I have. You got. Well, by the way, twenty feet deep. Yeah. That's the best stuff out there. I'm such a fan of, of Mark Jeffries and the stuff you guys do on Bass Zone at twenty feet deep. Uh, it's a thrill to be on on this program, Ike Live with Pete Glusick, who's a guy I've always admired, and and uh, I I'm I'm sorry you've sunk to the depths of having me on the program. Oh, please. <laughs> but it's a thrill to be here. <laughs> well, it's awesome to have you here, and. Uh, uh, you know, we're going to talk about, I guess, a lot of stuff and, you know, what, what's happening in, in bass and the, the sport and uh, what's going on in this tournament right now. You it's know? interesting. It's, it's 2016 all over again. Uh, and one of the things, I, I, I was watching the leaderboard a little while ago and listening to you guys, and, uh, you know, you see Christy on top, you know, Edwin Evers in second place, and I guarantee you the weights listed are not within two and a half pounds of what they really have. They the, got they got more weight. They're sandbaggers. Than that. It's Those just a question of who's sandbagging more today. Right, right. That's really what it's going to boil down to at the weigh-in. Right. Because some guys do that. Ike always big eyes his fish, <laughs> and those guys always underestimate. You know, and, and you know, speaking about Ike big eye in the fish and other guys underestimating, that's what it really boiled down to in 2009 in Shreveport. Uh, you're looking at that leaderboard and it's Skeet Reese and Mike Iconelli, and and you knew, <coughs> excuse me, you knew that Mike had him big, and you knew that Skeet had him small, and it flipped that way and went for ski. Uh, all right, I wanna I wanna ask him this because he mentioned <coughs> he mentioned uh, here I'll get him a 
I'll get him a tiny glass here. <laughs> a wee bottle. Yeah. Oh, there you go. I've already went through a half a dozen of them. Here. Thank, you, thank you for the thimble full of water. Yes. All right. No, you mentioned 2016, and, and obviously he is the, the guru when it comes to knowledge and things that have happened over the years. What, in your opinion, was the one fail now after that defining kind of moment when Christie and Evers were battling on that final day? Do you remember oh. what it was? Well, it's a no-brainer. It's when the guy on the bank asked Jason Christie if he wanted to know exactly where stood, because uh, and at first Christie I think said no, but then he said, "Yeah, go ahead and tell me." And the guy told him that basically Edwin had had a monster, epic day in the classic. He had 29 pounds yeah. and ounces that day. And you could just see the life go out of Jason Christie at that moment. And that was a, you know, that was one of those most dramatic moments in classic history, I think, due to the technology that we have. Now, what I wish, and, and, and we're seeing that in the final day, I wish these guys had access to the standings at all times in every event because it would impact strategy. You know, the classic we had last year where Jordan Lee won with a big comeback on the final day, guys like Brent Ayler and Edwin Evers, might have fished very differently and might have been in a position to win that classic had only they known what was happening around them behind them. I, you know, and I can't stand it when I know. I don't, I mean, I get it, you know, and, and if I got comfortable with it, with knowing, maybe maybe I could relax and it, and it would help me strategize. But I mean to tell you, when, when you know, you're fishing those tournaments where those beeps are going off when the other guys are catching them, are you getting those updates? I just want to take that marshal or whoever it is and throw them in the lake. Just get them out of my boat. I want the volume turned off. I'm like, man, I'm trying to concentrate, you know? I mean, I can't dictate when I'm going to get five-pounders or seven-pounders. It's not like you can just strategize for them. You've got you've to you've fish your, your plan, and that stuff just interrupts the whole process for me. It's just total meltdown, man. I'm like, turn it off. But for viewership, for viewership and excitement for the viewer at home, man, that that's fun watching those guys melt down. <laughs> the analogy I use, and you guys are sports guys, is if you're marching down the field in the fourth quarter and there's just moments remaining in the game, uh, you know whether you need a touchdown or a field goal mm-hmm. to make a difference. In basketball, you know whether you need to you can drive to the basket and get a two or you need to shoot a three. In bass fishing, you don't know that. And I think it takes a moment of strategy away, and I think that's unfortunate. I think that uh, anytime you add strategy to the mix, it's a cool thing. Well, it's uh, it's certainly, you know, you're doing that where guys are getting updates on your one-on-one. Yeah, they know exactly when somebody catches, yeah. you know, whatever they catch. They know where they stand. They know how much they need to rally. Mm-hmm. Or uh, Ken, Ken is dead on. Decisions are made. Based, based upon the status of where things are during that contest. Do I need to I'm sorry you jig? can't handle that. I can't, I can't <laughs> handle it. Can't handle it. I'm sorry you can't handle that. <laughs> so based on your extensive statistical analysis and calculus and differential equations. <laughs> standard deviation. Standard deviation. Who's winning this derby? What? These are the wrong two guys to be up front if you want me to make that decision because these guys are sandbaggers. These, this is the pillow talk classic is what this is. These guys are roommates. <laughs> and they know each other's playbook so well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if I had to guess right now, I would say that uh, Edwin Evers is winning this Bassmaster Classic by a hair. Because I think Edwin 
is going to be uh, sandbagging a little bit more than Jason, but what, only slightly. They're doing it. They're doing almost exactly the same thing. What uh, you know, in the classic history, what is what is the what is the classic that one of the guys absolutely blew the field away? Well, you got Bo Dowden in 1980, but the biggest one by far is 1984. On the Arkansas River, Rick Cluny won by 25 pounds, 8 ounces. Holy smokes. Yeah, I just saw Rick uh, here at the Expo just a little while ago. Always a pleasure to see that guy. Just one of my favorite people in the history of the sport. And, uh, you know, it, it was like he was fishing. It's it like he's fishing Falcon and everybody else is fishing the Ohio <laughs> River. <laughs> and he was fishing, like, right there in the harbor, right? No, he was actually up one of the creeks. This is hilarious. He had done so well, and uh, he was fishing up in one of the creeks there. The media asked him after the tournament, uh... He said, well, hey, what creek were you fishing in? And, and he said, oh, that wouldn't be fair to the fish. So he wouldn't even say. Uh, <laughs> but that's the biggest blowout in classic history. Kevin Van Dam in 2011 uh, at, at the Louisiana Delta where he won by almost 11 pounds. There have been some some big-time button. I, I know there. the answer to this because I just read Bass Times, but what is the narrowest margin of victory, and when oh, did that happen? That's kind of a tragic story in its own way. 1997. Uh, Dion Hibden wins the Bassmaster Classic on Logan Martin Lake mm-hmm. in uh, Alabama. He wins by one ounce. Uh, but the real story is Dalton Bobo, the uh, the Federation qualifier, one of the Federation's qualifiers that year. Dalton Bobo was one ounce behind him, and he had a dead fish on the final day. Now, that's cool for a couple of reasons to know that, because, first of all, the dead fish penalty that year was four ounces. Four ounces. The year before, the penalty was two ounces. If they had played under the same rule the, as they did the year before, oh. Dalton Bobo would have won by an ounce. Oh, my. Oh. Oh, my. Oh. Well, here's the, here's the biggest question from the from that classic is, uh, is who was the 37th place finisher? <laughs> that was <laughs> our friend Pete Lucy. Who would I later, say, later go on to fame in 37, by the way. It was tight. <laughs> who would later go on to fame and fortune hey, as a co-host uh, of Mike Live? How much did Jim Bitter <laughs> lose by when Jim he lost Bitter that? wound up losing by uh, just a couple ounces, two okay. ounces. And, of course, the, the tragedy, right. craziness there is uh, Bitter lands a fish. It's going to be his, fifth, his final keeper of that event. And uh, he's taken it to the live well. And Tim Tucker, right. the late, great Tim Tucker, was in his boat. And Tim said, are you sure that one's big enough? And Bitter says, yeah, I'm sure. but Let me measure out. it anyway. So he, he went over. And where is his where is his ruler? It's on the gunnel of the boat. Yeah. <laughs> Just in front of the console. Right. And he set the fish on there, 12 and a half. More Keeper. than big enough. You guys eyeball him and, and know and easily. Yeah. But easily keeper he takes it off the off the bump board uh. and the fish twists hits the gunnel back into the water and he, and he, at the time he's thinking no big deal i still got half a day but he never caught another fish you know and the sport has not learned that lesson i i know it's going to happen again have you seen these guys i see them time and time again oh, they'll yeah. take their board and they'll put it Boom, right on top of the rod locker. I see it all the time. And they'll measure them right there. Oh, yeah. They ought to play the Jim Bigger Bitter segment every single day before the tournament. <laughs> it's happening again, right? I mean, do you I'm guys see sure it? Jim uh, all the time. I, the other thing I see that I'm waiting for, and this is going to be sick, is the guys leaving their live well lids open. Oh. They just pop them lids, 
you seen him? I mean, I've had it happen to me at, at little pot tournaments. I've had one yeah. jump out before. Um, and, but guys just leave their lids open, and sooner or later, that, that heartbreak's going to happen. Back in uh, 94, when we first started our top rod bass club, club, me, Mike, and four other guys, our first tournament, I would have beat Mike, but I had one jump out of the live well. <laughs> I would have beat Mike. I have shown up at tournaments before. In the, in the inaugural event. And then you, so you would have won the classic. Yeah. <laughs> had things gone differently. I, I fished, I've fished, you know, small time tournaments before. Got my limit in the live well. I open the live well. It's like the fish is on a tether and lifting the live well shoots him out into the lake. And, and instead of having a limit, now I've got four. four. Instead of being in the money, now I'm way out. That's it's it's a heartbreak when that happens. All right, Pete, I have two questions for Ken, and I promise you these are the only two business questions I'm going to ask him. But based upon the status and what his role is with the magazine that he has, he is very fishing tackle retailer in the in the industry and in the business. The first question is, how much impact, if any, is the merger going to affect this industry of Cabela's and Bass Pro Shops? I think it depends on which part of the industry you're in. If you're a consumer, I don't think you can expect much of a, a, a change. If you're a, a manufacturer, hey, Bass Pro has all the power now. Bass Pro is, is more powerful by far than they've ever been because they picked up Cabela's. Uh, they're a monster. They're the 800-pound gorilla. They were powerful before, more so now. So uh, That's why they've got be, that big screen production <laughs> thing happening. <laughs> exactly. The they're going to be able to dictate slumber. terms to manufacturers. You know, yep. all the guys on, on Pete's jersey here, uh, you know, if Basto says, hey, we're going to pay you not in 90 days, but in 180 days, what are you going to do? You're going to say, okay. I, You're going to oh, find out what factoring is. <laughs> you <go>. Exactly. <laughs> You're going to find out what business loans and how factoring yeah. are. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that, that that's going to be a big deal. So, yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to impact the industry in a way. Uh, I thought it was an interesting play to pick up Cabela's, you know, when everything seems to be going online, to invest in more brick and mortar. Uh, Amazon is going to be one of the next big changes. You know, we've seen what Tackle right. Warehouse and companies like that have done. Amazon is going to be- become more and more of a player in the fishing industry. Right now, if you search rod and reel on Amazon, you're going to get some weird Chinese thing you never heard of that's probably not any good. But but soon you're going to start seeing the Lou's, the Daiwa's, the Shimano's, and, and uh, it's going to be a different game. All right, second question is, is this a good time? to be in in the retail business of tackle you know it's always a good time to be in the retail business of tackle if you can differentiate yourself if you can find a way to to appeal to your market there are a lot of ways to do it if you're a small retailer it's going to be impossible for you to compete with the bass pros or the tackle warehouses in selection it's going to be impossible for or difficult for you to compete on price but what you can do is you can be so dialed into your fishery whether it's hartwell or murray or lanier or the California Delta, you can be so dialed in and you can say, hey, I don't need 14 colors of that because I know what two colors work and I can tell my customers what works. Or if you can be better at, at teaching your audience, if you can be better at some aspect that the big boxes can't handle, that the online people can't do, then it's a great time to be in retail. All right, last question. I'm sorry. You one said two. I know, one more, one more. <laughs> what is more important right now in this industry? Price or performance? Wow. Uh, well, I, I, first of all, let me say this. I don't think you can be successful without performance. 
Unless you have good performance, you have no chance, irrespective of price. That's a good question, wasn't mm-hmm. it, Pete? It's a All fabulous right. question. Very good. Uh, <laughs> very and very high-level question, I think. Yeah. Here's why. You can't afford to make junk anymore because every consumer is going online and checking out the reviews first. Mm-hmm. You know, he's checking out what the spinning reel does and what people are saying about it. And if it's not getting four and a half stars, he's not buying it, even if it's a buck. He's going to spend for something that is quality. Mm-hmm. So performance is absolutely essential. Price is, I think, secondary. I have a question. Let's talk industry. Uh, you and I talk about the hard truth of what's going on in this sport right now. And uh, That's a good show, just me and you on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. But what I've been, uh, we've sat down with, uh, with Phoenix Boats here. Uh, they're beyond capacity of their factory. Uh, every boat company is three months out on their orders. Um, is is that an indicator? Is, is this sport growing? Are we plateaued? Where where are we headed? You asked a tough question, Pete. See, Mark gave me Mark kind of easy stuff. To work <laughs> you guys are playing good cop, bad cop. Uh, well, you know, it's, it's an interesting question. You know, there were probably about five thousand, maybe fifty five hundred bass boats. So I'm talking about the big glass rigs with the giant outboards and stuff like that in the trailer. They're about 5,000 or 5,500 of those sold last year. Ballpark. I had a, a young man, a college student in California, who was interested in getting into the industry. He calls me up and starts to pick my brain about stuff. And I said, well, how many bass boats do you think were sold last year? And he said, I don't know, maybe a million? And I said, uh, no. And, and let's, let's put it in a little perspective here. Let's say there were 5,000, 5,500 bass boats sold out there last year. There are about 300 guys who fish the Bassmaster Elite Series or the FLW Tour. That means that one in every 16 and a half bass boats produced last year is already in the Bassmaster Elite Series or the FLW Tour. If that doesn't frighten you on some level, wow, I don't know what to tell you. Well, um, let's well, talk. Well, we always we always knew this as pros. Like we we were we knew we were the best customer of any of the boat companies. And you are. You guys are selling to each other. You're, right. You're, you're selling right. to the guys who want to be where you are. Right. Mike Iaconelli is selling to the guys who want to be where he is. And that's a problem. I think that uh, the industry is responding well to it, though, because they're producing more aluminum boats, more entry-type level boats, smaller outboards, things like that. Uh, you're seeing some, some real growth in those areas, and I think that's great. I think for too long we've done a, a major disservice to the sport by telling people that unless you have a $70,000 bass boat and a $50,000 tow vehicle, you can't catch one of these little green fish. If it had been like that when I was a kid, I would have never caught my second bass. Right. And I think we need to be speaking to that audience, and I think we're doing a horrific job to this day. You know, people say, oh, the sport's getting so much younger. No, it's not. The average age of a Bassmaster Classic qualifier is has been between 40 and 41 for 15 years. It's actually, the average age of a Classic qualifier has actually gone up over the last three years. And a classic qualifier is kind of a good barometer of the sport because those are the guys who are really doing well. Those are the guys who are making a living and so forth. The sport's not getting younger. It's just they're putting more emphasis on some of these college programs and things like that. And, and my See, concern, sponsors, you should be emphasizing the older competitors. <laughs> if you're not back in peak lucid, you have to wonder if you're even in the game. Vintage. <laughs> Vintage. So, so, it's, so it's, not, it, it's not getting younger. Uh. No, they're just doing hand signals amongst themselves. I know, but some of them are rude. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> just move the mic a little closer. Ken. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry about that. I didn't know anybody wanted to hear me. Bro. Oh, yeah, we all do. 
Well, uh, Much better. So we got the kayak business, which is exploding off the shelf. Uh, they got to be bringing new people in the sport. And they are. And that's what's cool because that's an area where a guy can get invested in a, for a few hundred bucks. He gets a kayak, a stand-up paddleboard. Suddenly he's out there on the water and enjoying it. But we're not seeing enough of is enough media attention on that kind of style of fishing to let people know what's out there and what's going on. Right. Of course, so much media has gone online with YouTube and so forth that uh, that people do have an outlet to see it. But I want to see more people getting focused on that sort of thing, more people uh, focusing on the bank fishing. You look at the guys who are the biggest stars in our sport now. Yeah, there are the Kevin Van Dams and, and Mike Iconellis, but there's also guys on YouTube who have exponentially larger followings than KVD or Ike. And they're the guys who are out there putting out these little videos, fishing from the bank and stuff like that. It's crazy. And I'm waiting for a pro to, to grab that kind of business plan and that program by the throat and not let go because I think there's a real future there. Well, we're seeing it. Uh, guys like Scott Martin have done a fantastic job, I think, by doing that exact thing and following that example, you know. I, I think that's great. I think that's important because you, you got to stay ahead of the curve. The, the media and things are moving faster today than ever before. The world moves faster. Yeah. See, that's not all doom and gloom. There's something we can do as pros. We've got to go out there and we've got to grab this new audience. Uh, you guys did such a great example of this. I mean, this program is a great example of grabbing that new audience, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and finding a way to communicate with them that they appreciate, that they enjoy. And you guys have a massive following. And, and that's that's so important. Massive. And, and you guys are good for the sport. <laughs> hey, what, what happened to the tube fishing? It, it, like tube fishing got totally thrown out when the whole kayak thing started. I live in Florida. That's right. Tube, tube fishing is like being a bobber for an alligator. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, I don't tube. I don't. I don't. I don't have a kayak because I once went online on YouTube and I searched alligator kayak. Do that, and you'll yep. understand why I don't have a kayak. Yep. We apologize, Hobie, who's your big sponsor of Ike Live <laughs> um, here at the 2018 Classic. He kind of has we, a point about the alligator, we, don't, though, we, we think that might have been Photoshopped. We're not really sure. Yeah. Exactly. Well, yeah. The, the Hobie people, the Mirage series is amazing. I, you know, So many times I wish I was somewhere other than Florida where I see 12-foot alligators on a regular basis. Well, all right. Alligators aside. <laughs> Sorry about that. Okay. I, I'd like to thank them for my one and only appearance on Ike Live. <laughs> let, let freelance it for us. Give us something fascinating that's happening at, at the Classic this year. Yo, I think we've had great attendance at this Classic. This has been really exciting and, and good to see so many people coming out. Uh, I think spring break was going on. Friday was a good crowd. Uh, everybody's selling a lot of stuff. I'm seeing one of the things I love is is the undying passion that a lot of anglers have for getting involved in this industry. And and so every every so often through here you'll see a little booth pop up at a small 10 by 10 booth here at the Classic, and it's some little company you never heard of. And, and maybe they're just making spinner baits, or maybe they're just making jigs, but they've got something cool about it. So often you see innovation from the little guy who has one great idea, and it's going to impact the industry in some way, whether it's Andy Poss with his Alabama rig or, or somebody else. Uh, the old chatterbait from Rad Lures, now with Z-Man. Uh, those are the people who really shake things up. And you see them at every class, and you don't see them a lot of other places. So if you want to see the grassroots and the ground swell of this industry, an event like the Bassmaster Classic Expo is a good place to go. 
Well, we've certainly got uh, you know, a pile of uh, people here. Do you think this is going to break records on attendance here? Uh, that depends if you want to go real attendance or reported attendance. Oh, you, let's talk <laughs> attendance. <laughs> well, I have no idea. I can only, you know, I, I, uh, you know, that was freaking awesome. <laughs> when I think attendance, guys, I'm not. I don't, I don't have a counter at the turnstile. There is no turnstile, and there's a reason for that. But uh, I don't know. I, I think back to the 2009 classic in Shreveport, Louisiana, yeah. where there were two people on every escalator step. You guys right. were there. It was crazy. Now, was it because the aisles were a little more narrow? Was it because the venue had a less square footage? I don't know. All I know is it was hard to get in and out of that place. And uh, what I think is a funny story about that event, uh, at the time I was senior editor of Bass Publications, so my face was on a lot of Bass things. And uh, I was coming from the expo and heading to the, the weigh-in and the media center, and I parked, and I'm, I'm trying. I've got to break through a big line of people. You guys will remember, 5,000 people wrapped around oh, yeah. that Coliseum and yeah. they were turned away. Wow. That's I've got right. To, yeah. I've got to get through this crowd of people. And some of them recognize me. And so they're saying, Ken, Ken, take us with you. Take us with you. And I'm saying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I can't. I can't. Ken, Ken, you suck. <laughs> <laughs> Was that the Jersey Classic? <laughs> the Jersey Philly Classic. There you go. Uh, so... So bottom line, what's your best guess? Was that it? The uh, as the what, most attended classic? I, you know, I have no. It's, it's hard to say. It's hard okay. to say. Uh, that was a great one. Wow! I look back. The 05 classic in Pittsburgh was a great one. Yeah. It had it had big numbers for that. Uh, I remember the first one in New Orleans, not the Davy Height one, right? But the 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 one that was after the one that Davy Height won was the Van Dam massive. One. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was huge. It, it's just so hard to say for me yeah. because I'm not good at gauging crowds, especially when they're they're moving targets. Uh, yeah, if you want to know what the crowd was, put turnstiles in, make everybody walk through. Yeah, Let's right. see what the numbers are. Right. Otherwise, we're just guessing. We're just yapping. So what we need is crowd police or attendance <laughs> police, attendance <laughs> detect- detectives. Well, I, honestly, I, I think now that the numbers are nice, but to me, the the success or failure of the Classic Expo is based on on how well these exhibitors do, whether they feel like they talk to enough people and the right people, whether the retailers here sold enough products, moved enough products. And that's a factor not just of attendance, but also of product quality and things like that. So, you know, it's, it's hard to ultimately, here's, here's my gauge of a successful classic and expo. Does Bass want to come back? Does the venue want Bass back? Bass ain't going back to Houston. Houston has no need for the Bass right. Classic. Too big. <laughs> Growing, <laughs> massive that, city. Yeah, to, to use the word crowd at that right. way, in reference to that weigh-in is, is uh, I don't know what word you want to use, but the word crowd is not appropriate. Um, gathering. The gathering, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah the, it was a gathering. A club meeting. All right, let's ask him this real quick. Uh, any rumors? Are you hearing anything where it may be next year as far as the Classic? I haven't heard. I haven't inquired, honestly, but I, I haven't heard... If I had to, we're not speculating, are we? We're just trying to guess. Yeah, random guess. Where where do you think next year? Uh, my short list would be uh, Birmingham, close to Bass's home. Uh, also on my short list would be New Orleans. Haven't been there in a while, not since 2011. Um, I think there's a chance that uh, it might be Wiley in Charlotte. Haven't been there since 2004. And I would say there's there's also. 
the possibility that it could go back to Grant in Tulsa. What do you guys think? You guys are asking me questions. Come on. <laughs> well, Grant, Grant, I mean, those are the perfect uh, outlets. Cities like this, like Greenville, that, you know, they're not the giant cities, right? They're not these, like, like I was surprised Philly had bass there. They're, they're just too big, you know. They've got the sports teams. They're ball sports. They don't need it. They don't. They don't really want it. To I be think honest. what what Pittsburgh. Well, you're talking about Philadelphia for the elite stuff. Yeah. I think that was great. I think you know sometimes you run into a community, whether it be New Orleans at certain times, whether it be Chicago for the 2000 disaster, also known as the Classic. Yeah. Whether it be <laughs> uh, uh, Pittsburgh in 2005, these communities want to show the world that their waterways are clean and they produce fish and and there are outdoor opportunities there. So mm-hmm. you never know what you never know exactly what might drive the effort to get a Bassmaster Classic or an Elite Series event. Uh, agreed. And I, I couldn't guess, but I, I will say this, and I know it's not going to change because these are so successful this time of year. But I miss I miss the summertime classics. I, I miss the classic happening at the end of the season. I thought I thought that's the culmination of a, a year of hard work. And you have the classic. You have it in the summer, and you usually you have it up north. Uh, I mean, I I miss that. I do too, but mostly because bass has strayed from what they what when they started the elite series, and and Don Rux was running things. Their commitment was to the best anglers on the best waters at the best times. Gotta like that. That's kind of mm-hmm. cool. You really get to show off some fisheries and do some cool stuff. Well, with all due respect to Greenville, which is a, a lovely community, this ain't the best water, Lake Hartwell. This ain't the best time necessarily, although it's awfully close. Mm-hmm. And and the Classic is here for reasons other than the fishing, you know? Right. If we wanted to see records broken and big fish brought in, we'd been at the Kissimmee chain a month and a half ago. Or, or we'd be someplace else, you know? I... I I love the summertime classics for that reason, because it can be more of a family thing, and because bass obviously is not showing a serious commitment right now to that best fishery, best time thing. If they would get back to that, bring it back to the Kissimmee chain, which is not going to happen because, well, we'll discuss that in a moment, but bring it back there or, or Gunnersville or something where you can really see some, some bags of fish. Well, I, I think you're right. Um, <laughs> what we got going on here, bass is another controversial thing. They were up for sale last year. Well, this is, nobody's seeing this, are they? <laughs> they got bought. Or did they get bought? Did they just exchange, I don't know, no, it was ownership? Just a, it was a maneuver in uh, excelling or increasing the ownership that a minority owner already had interest in. Correct, Ken? Well, yeah. I, you know, what uh, Anderson Media Group has been a part owner of Bass apparently since 2014. And yeah. this is a privately owned company, folks. This is not traded on the New York Stock Exchange. So uh, a lot of what you hear is because they've publicly told it. A lot of what you hear is rumor. There's a lot of things that we might comment on that we don't know for a fact. But what we do know is Anderson Media started buying a piece of bass in 2014. And what was it, late last year, they had finally acquired a majority interest. Was that a good thing? Well, I think it's a little too early to say. Too early to say. I, I, I agree with him. I mean, we need to see because typically when any person or uh, any group buys a company, typically there's about a 12-month period where they kind of go in, they dip their toes in the pool, they find out what's going on, and then they eventually start to phase any changes that they want to make after that 12 to 24 months. 
So this might be an exception, and I kind of would expect action faster than that because he was involved already. Anderson's Chase right. Anderson, I believe, is the gentleman's name. I don't know him. Uh, he's been on the board since 2014. They've had yeah. a partial ownership interest since then. So that's kind of the dipping the toe in the water process. They've been around for going on four plus years. So uh, they should know the lay of the land. Uh, when, when you buy a company like Bass or acquire a majority interest, you got to figure you're doing it because either you think they're raking it in, it's a good business move, or you think you could make some changes so that it becomes a good business move. Make more money. Exactly. So I don't know what their game plan is here. It'll be interesting to see if they even have a game plan. Well, it's, the, it's starting out with a good classic. You know, it seems like it's going to be a good Did classic. It's well Pete? attended. He's an escort. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea. For those of you watching this broadcast, Brian, you can Brian. contact him. Okay. Can you see what Ken is? Okay. <laughs> he is an escort. Okay, let me explain I had no the badge. <laughs> Does he have a toll-free number? <laughs> let me explain the badge. I'll put it on the board here. <laughs> um, I, like Mark Jeffries, like Pete Glusick, if he wants one, I have a media badge. I'm a, a member of the I have one. Media. And uh, Mark Brian the Carpenter. Even Brian has the one. Carpenter has one. So, uh, <laughs> so I have a media badge. This is a badge I actually acquired some time ago. It allows me to take someone who maybe doesn't have this badge into an area where this badge can go. Oh, I gotcha. So you can escort somebody then. Ooh, he's got the, the power. B to the C. Well, hey. hey, I. You know, let's talk about something fun because I've asked this question to you, and uh, you've given me some interesting answers. The greatest angler of all time. You know, a lot of us right, go go to Kevin, but you you dial in on some of the guys that have dominated the sport early on in the sport uh, that we we're not even talking about much anymore. We don't, and I think what you're talking about, Pete, is uh, everybody talks about everybody. I think I acknowledge. I think most people who are pay attention to the sport acknowledge Kevin Van Dam is the greatest professional bass angler of all time. I don't think there's a debate anymore. I think seven Angler of the Year titles and four Bassmaster Classic titles put that to rest. My objection, and where I have chimed in on some things, is when certain on-air personalities have said, and I don't want to call anybody out on this, but they Mark said, Jeffries. <laughs> it wasn't me. <laughs> it wasn't Mark. They, they've said, oh, Kevin Van Dam, the most dominant angler in bass history. Well, no. I think, I think Van Dam is the best, but he certainly hasn't been the most dominant. The most dominant were Bill Dance and Roland Martin. And there's a couple of reasons for that. Anytime you're talking about the infancy of a sport, you've got a couple of people who early on are going to be head and shoulders of the rest of the field. That was Dance and Martin. Dance first. In the first 17 events Bass held, Dance won seven of them. And Good finished in the top three in most of the rest. Okay? Kevin Van Dam has never done anything close to that. All right? In all due respect to Kevin, he's not done that. Roland Martin hit the scenes... In 1971, he finished second in his first tournament. He won his next tournament. Uh, he was a beast for a three-year period, 71, 72, 73. His average finish in fields of over 200 anglers, his average finish was third place. Nobody's ever done that. That's pretty dominant. Yeah. That is that's unbelievable. Dom- that's dominant. Unbelievable. In his best year, Kevin's not done that. In his best year, Kevin's average maybe 15th in the elite. Kevin's the best. Roland Martin was the 800-pound gorilla. Is it fair to compare eras? Maybe not, because when when Roland Martin launched his boat in 72, there were maybe 20 guys he needed to beat. When Kevin launches his boat in the Elite Series, there are probably 60 guys 
realistically have a chance to win on any individual. The competition has caught up a little bit. Exactly. Denny Brower put it great. Denny Brower told me one time, the bottom is moving toward the top. Mm-hmm. When I was a kid, when Mark was a kid, and I think he'll remember this, the magazines used to say things like, like 10% of the fishermen catch 90% of the fish. You yep. remember that? Oh, yeah. Now I think it's more like 50% of the fishermen catch 90% of the fish. Guys like Pete Glusick, Rick Clun, Mike Iconelli, Kevin Van Dam, Roland Martin, they've taught the rest of us how to fish and be a fish. Did you hear that grouping? <laughs> <laughs> let's let's cut that and post it somewhere. We are standing on the shoulders of these guys, and that's made us better anglers. They've told us their secrets, mm-hmm. and it's made us better. But in the earliest days, guys like Dance and Martin, they had to figure it all out on their own, and right. that's how they got it done. So. Well. It, it's amazing, and uh, it's been amazing having you here with us, Ken. I mean, it's thank awesome. you guys. I, re- I appreciate the opportunity. The the amount of knowledge you have is amazing. So Mark, Mark and I are going to go spend a few hours getting some more questions <laughs> together for next time, so that do we I can send really check dive to you in. You or to Mike? Who gets a check for my appearance? To? Who do I send that to? <laughs> that be IkeLive.com. <laughs> but well, thanks, thanks so much. Thanks Jake. so much, Ken. Hey, Appreciate it. Is there anything you want to announce? Uh, fishing tackle retailer? Anything you got going on in the sport? You wanna you wanna tell our viewers about? You know, fishing tackle retailer. If you're a retailer in this industry and you're not familiar with our magazine, please check out fishingtackleretailer.com. Subscribe to our magazine. It's free. If you're an industry insider, you need to know about us. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you guys somewhere down the road. I cast, if not yep. soon. I cast. I cast. Back sure. in my neck of the woods in Central Florida. So. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity to be on Ike Live so much. Thanks, guys. And we won't be kayaking around any alligators. (laughs) Thanks for watching. Sorry, Hobie. (laughs) We'll be right back with some more Ike Live from the Classic. I'm Pete Kluzek. Bitches.